This week's guest is a giant of British comedy whose consistent originality, wit and satirical brilliance has long since earned him global recognition. Armando Iannucci's CV is enviable with credits including The Day to Day, Alan Partridge, The Thick of It, In the Loop and Veep for which he won two Emmys. His latest project is The Death of Stalin, a so-called comedy of terrors about the power struggles which followed the passing of the eponymous dictator in 1953. The film is available on home entertainment formats now and I strongly recommend you check it out if you haven't already. I'm Edith Bowman and you're listening to Soundtracking, a weekly podcast about the sounds of the screen. Now, musically, the death of Stalin allowed Armando to indulge his passion for classical music with the likes of Shostakovich providing sonic inspiration for Christopher Willis's excellent score. You'll hear plenty of extracts from that as well as the actual recording of a Mozart piano concerto that may very well have been a matter of life and death. But we start with Gustav Holst, which also happens to be where Armando's love affair with the genre began. Armando, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us. That's today. all right. Yeah. I was. I think what's going to be lovely about this is a lot of people obviously know and adore the work that you do in in comedy, both in TV and and in film. But classical music is and always has been always, a huge yeah. passion of yours. For an early age, actually, since I was about twelve or thirteen, just wow. hearing it played. I remember, it was a music appreciation class. Do people have that these days? I wish they did. <laughs> I think it was just a, I think it was just a free period that they dressed up. <laughs> yeah. You know, it didn't quite Detention fit. Detention or music appreciation? Yeah. What are we going to go? We've got for? this gap in the timetable. <laughs> we we'll call it music appreciation. Well, um, the music teacher just played records, you know, and but wow. they tended to be classical music. And I remember the very first time it was the Planet Suite by Holst, and it was Mars, which is quite kind of, you know, when you hear everyone recognise it. I just thought that's my noise I like that noise wow. that sound of an orchestra which yeah. I never really sat down and listened to before I'd grown up my father came from Naples so he was very much into opera but it was very much Italian opera yeah, 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 yeah. so you had that on in the background Verdi and Puccini at full blast on a Sunday afternoon and remember the whoever was upstairs banging <laughs> banging the floor and the, and the light shaking and my dad just picking up a broomstick and just banging the ceiling back, and then back. turning it further up 
Um, wow, you know, so people have been offended by opera as well. It's like, well, yeah. why, how could you? <laughs> it was quite loud, <laughs> and it was all day. that type of music in particular that you connected with? I don't know, it's, it, it may also be, you know, I shared a room with my older brother who was into Deep Purple and Pink <laughs> Floyd and all the colours, King Crimson, all the, you know. Uh, orange juice? <laughs> orange juice, no. <laughs> Not too late. And a bit too early for Deacon Blue, but, um, <laughs> but um, you know, which was fine. And Lou yeah. Reed and David Bowie and Rolling Stones, and I sort of heard all that, but I kind of had that down as, as his noise. Yeah. And I was very bookish and quite academic and, you know, quite geeky. So I was sort of looking for my noise. Mm -hmm. And and I did that little, that embarrassing phase of, of doing those crossover, you know, like um, like Mike Oldfield, but the orchestral version. Yeah. Or Rick Wakefield's <laughs> The Six Wives of Henry VIII or something, you know, <laughs> these stupid, you know, when, when sort of rock stars decided as they got a bit older that they try and be a bit more classical. Mm -hmm. I felt it may have been a gateway drug, but it wasn't, you know, <laughs> it, it was pathetic. I felt it wasn't the real thing. Listen to you tell this story about when you joined the library and you would go and you would pull records in the library, but yeah. you know you had that maximum of two records. Yes, I could take Marla, two. you would kind of yeah. pour into because you had double hits. That's right. Marla did these symphonies that were ninety minutes long, so they were they were like a double album. Mm. So I always thought that was cheating the system because that still counted as one of my two <laughs> records, this double album. And what it was good about it was, it was a way of, this is a new library that opened up just down the road and I was about 14 when I joined it. And it was a way of trying stuff out, but without the risk of paying lots of money. Yeah, yeah. You know, because you go, no, you go into a record store and you, it's a bit of a, a gamble. 
-hmm. you know, buying something and not really knowing what it's like until you take it home. But this was a way of trying everything out, which means I could actually be a bit more experimental and take out modern stuff as well as Mozart and Beethoven. Uh, and, and actually, without going, oh my God, I've spent 10.99 on this, and I hate it. And so that was great. It was a real, I mean, it was my education. It was my education in music, really. Because of your love of classical music with film and score, mm. did that give you a, a, a real appreciation of that when you started watching films? Absolutely, and... yes. The music is, you know, and how a director uses music, whether they use existing music, like, yeah. you know, Kubrick in the end, all his temp stuff is lifted from, you know, classical, and yeah. then he can't bring himself to replace it with anything new. <laughs> so there it goes, costing a fortune, no doubt, <laughs> in all these. Um, so that's that, So I've always seen it, although strangely, until I did The Death of Stalin, I use music very infrequently yeah. in my stuff. I think because the style of it is meant to be very sort of naturalistic, fly-on-the-wall type documentary, and yeah. think of it and so on. To bring music in would actually make it feel like we've sat in an edit and we've bent this round to fit our story. Yeah. And I want it to feel actually spontaneous. Whereas with something like The Death of Stalin, um, it was set in the 1950s in Russia and music was so important then. Yeah. And, and you know, Shostakovich, great symphonist, was in trouble for just writing a piece of music that was it's too, crazy, that, too modern it? for Stalin. He wrote an opera and Stalin went to see it and hated it and did an anonymous review in Pravda the next day, calling it more muddled than music. And, and Shostakovich thought he was on the death list. He would be, you know, and he spent about a year and a half with his bags packed, waiting by the door through the night, just oh expecting to be taken away. But he stopped being... His music stopped being played in concert halls, and he he earned a living writing music for films. So he has a very kind of cinematic, Mm. uh, quite a lot of Soviet components actually are quite cinematic because they also wrote for for Soviet films.
again, you know, I thought I would use, you know, when we were editing the film, I thought I would use elements of Shostakovich, but I got um, Chris Willis, our composer, who I knew from Veep. He's classically trained and just knows the orchestra back to front. And he just went out, took out scores of Shostakovich and Prokofiev and Stravinsky and Tchaikovsky and, you know, uh, Weinberg, slightly more obscure Russian composers, studied them, and then came up with a score that was completely new, yeah. but felt like it was of the period, and but for our film, so cut it to our film. To the extent that people genuinely ask me where I found this Shostakovich music from, I have to tell them, no, it's actually, poor Chris doesn't get the credit. He, it's actually, you know, it's our composer, it's Chris Willis, our composer, who came up with it. I remember ringing him at the start saying, look, don't be too frightened when I say this, but I want it to feel like we've rung up the Soviet Union's finest symphonic composer and asked them <laughs> to score our movie. And there was a pause and he went, okay. <laughs> but then he went, you know, he did, he went, in, he yeah. went fully method and, totally. and absorbed it. Yeah. very exciting watching it being recorded. It was an 80-piece orchestra in uh, Galaxy Studios in Belgium, which is this uh, enormous mm. studio out in the woods on springs. The whole studio is on springs, so it's lifted from the floor, wow. so there's no rumble or anything. And just sitting watching this 80-piece orchestra play, you know, was fantastic.
But on the second day, we had two days, I just sat kind of watching the first day and thinking, why am I here? <laughs> uh, and I suppose I'm here to chip in. So on the second day, I did chip in. Um, and I said, it was actually a piece of Tchaikovsky when it's announced Stalin's dead and, and the orchestra were playing it as written. And I said, could it be slightly more droopy? Could it be kind of, instead of, Yara, could it be, Yara? And he went, oh, you want uh, Ostinuto? Or is it Rallentando? I can't He used a phrase that I can't remember now to this day. And um, he passed the instruction on and, and then started again. And then he went, Yara. And it was perfect. And I thought, oh, good. I've contributed my one musical thought to this <laughs> score. <laughs> I love that about classical music, all this yeah. kind of language that it has. It has this it's language. Incredible. And actually, that's the problem in that it, people feel like you have to have some kind of specialist knowledge, mm-hmm. that you have to have a degree in it or know the history of it to enjoy it. And it's now, emotion. It's an emotional thing. And it's, a, it's you know, anyone who plays music will tell you it's an inner connection. It's not, it's not a connection on paper. It's mm-hmm. not an academic intellectual connection. It's an inner connection. And, um, you know, I've seen this. Uh, there's a group I, I kind of support called the Apollo Music Projects, and they're a charity. They go into schools, usually in, in a city, in London mainly, but I think they're now trying to do it across the country. Schools that don't have any music department or yeah. any, you know. And they go in as a sort of quartet, and they play pretty serious string quartet music to, like, 9, 10, 11-year-olds who are absolutely mesmerised yeah. by it. Because the way they engage them is they don't kind of talk down to them. They don't say, hey, we're going to do some animal noises now, and now we're going to do a big bear. You know, they <laughs> yeah. don't do any of that. They just play the music and say, if this was a story, what's it telling you? And they come up with all these elaborate stories. But they're actually listening mm. to really complex, uh, you know, late 20th century music or, or Haydn or you know and it tells you actually that the fact is music isn't a spoken language uh, and therefore you don't have to have this knowledge of the phrases in the English language yeah. to describe it mm-hmm. you don't have to be able to describe it you don't have to be able to articulate what you feel about it or what the impact is you know you just have to listen and listening is not something we do that much. These, obviously, this being a podcast, this is ideal. Thanks for listening, everyone. I've got a captive audience here. Um, but, you know, what I mean, yeah, listening is totally. not... And we do hear music all day. You know, we go in, we've got our headphones on and our buds in. And we, you know, normally, background going to a shop, yeah. anywhere. We hear really complex music behind dramas and films, but we don't see it as that. We absorb it all, but we're not really listening. So um, I wrote a book called Hear Me Out, which is a collection of the stuff I've... I've written about music and the, the plea really is to almost in the same way that you know people will say you know eat your five a day or just do <laughs> 20 minutes exercise just 10 minutes pure solid listening just choose a piece of music and just do nothing else but yeah. just listen it doesn't matter what the music That's is the thing, something yeah. you like or something that might have been suggested off the back of something you like just listen and it's a good way of sort of resetting yourself for the rest of the day, but also just exercising a bit of your brain that you don't normally use. And know? that's the thing as well, is like, don't be doing anything else. So don't just put it mm. on and make the dinner. Yeah. Or whatever. Just allow yourself to sit absolutely. down or, yeah. or walk somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, yes, love I love it. that. Yeah. yeah. I sometimes go on long walks, just knowing, because it's a what I want to listen to a sort of 20-minute Yeah. Now, that's not... I mean, I'm as guilty as everyone else. I have music on when I'm working. And, do you? Do you, you know, use it to write yeah. stuff as well? I do, actually. I prefer it to silence. Yeah. So that is that is that is half listening. I know I'm only half listening now. Do you think it's inspiring you? Do you think it's it's having? Well, I don't know if it's working. sinking in or something about it. Especially longer pieces. You know, the the structure of it, the deep structure of it. Maybe you you become more aware of because you're not 
focused entirely on it. So it's the it's the effect of that half an hour that it's taken as you're writing. But I I, I don't know. I mean, it's just something I've always I've always done really. I yeah. just I seem to get more done when I put some music on. Maybe not spoken. Maybe not sung. Maybe not the voice, but sort of pure instrumental yeah. music. And I love as well in Death Style and obviously music is within the narrative in terms mm. of Paddy's character and yeah, Paddy this Constein fantastic opens with a yeah. scene and yeah. kind of panic about this yeah. performance. It's so... It's a true story. Is it's it? It's all true. Well, fact, this is what I love about yes. the film is that I, I know how much research you put mm. in and how mm. true and, and things feel, whether it's... Yeah thick of it all that kind of yeah. stuff and e and even you know partridge it's i worked mm. in radio for 20 years and i know <laughs> how close he is and the people around him too absolutely real life yeah yeah, yeah. everyone know every no one identifies <laughs> themselves as alan partridge oh i've definitely got uh, that part but, but, but they always say but there's a guy just uh <laughs> yeah. see him over there i've got a friend yeah, he's like friend. yeah yeah you know? but but, um, but with this yeah so it was a, it, yes it, so this is a there's a true story it's an opening it was uh radio moscow were playing a live relay from a music a uh, concert hall mm -hmm. in Moscow, Mozart's 27th, 23rd piano concerto. Stalin was listening to it live in his uh, dacha, rings them up and says, uh, uh, I'd love a recording of this, I'll send someone around to pick it up. And the engineer puts the phone down, turns around and says, are we recording this? And they say, no, we're not recording it. It's going out live, we're not recording it. And he thinks, oh my God, because I, I could now die, I could be shot. Um, so he runs out and he tells the audience to just stay exactly where they are. They're not going home. They're going to do it again for Stalin. At which point the um, pianist says, no, Stalin had my father killed, my brother killed. No, I'm not going to do it. Eventually they persuade her because they make a huge donation to the church that, you know, that she was quite religious. But the, the conductor is so nervous that he actually faints and he knocks himself out. He bashes his head against the wall. So they have to scour Moscow for another conductor who comes in and does it in his pyjamas. <laughs> now, in real life, the, the, the conductor they brought in was drunk. So they actually had to go out and find another conductor. So they got through three conductors in real life. But I cut it down to two because I thought people wouldn't believe <laughs> it. <laughs> people wouldn't believe it. And historically, the incident happened a little bit before Stalin died. And we've made it happen just you know, yeah. on the eve of his illness. Because it, it was just a perfect way in to all the themes of the film. It was almost like a little overture mm -hmm. to the movie, a little short film before the main film, uh, with all the, you know, a concentrated version of what you're about to get.
It's yeah. amazing how all this stuff's documented. Yes. You know, and how you find out that these little events around such a big character. And oh yes, for a for a, for a, a system that tried to silence people and eradicate any dissent and so on. The dissent is all there. It's all written down and it's all, you know, you can find it out. Plus, the central characters, Svetlana, Stalin's daughter, wrote up about the events of his death in letters. And Khrushchev wrote, an, uh, an, in his autobiography, wrote the account of what happened. And, and they kind of tally, their accounts tally. When you're, um, to kind of step off of music for a, yeah. a minute, when you, you know, you, you script this, you write it, but mm. you also, you know, you encourage your cast to improvise yes. and kind of go yeah. with it. Do you give them a start and an end point? Oh, yes. And is that the, kind the, of how The improvising works? is more, well, there's two elements of it. One is as we're, I like to cast really early so that we know who we're writing for. Yeah. And we have little one-on-one -on -one discussions with them as how they see their character and, and whatever. So, for example, Rupert Friend, who plays Vasily Stalin's son. Stalin's son is drunk. He's in, the, he's in the Air Force, heavily over-promoted because he's Stalin's son, and reckless. The ice hockey story is true as well. The ice hockey story is true. true, yes. We found that in our research. So the ice <laughs> hockey story. Yes, Vasily had the entire... He was in charge of the Air Force ice hockey team. And they were playing Hungary. And they were getting on a plane. And he was warned not to put them in the plane because there was an ice storm. And he insisted they fly. And the plane crashed. And he lost the entire team. So he then made up a scratch team out of just friends and friends of friends because so, he didn't want his father to know and it was a terrible team but Rupert was saying he always saw Vasily with a minder from mm -hmm. the KGB or the NKVD as it's called then just someone who was always there who'd been placed there by Stalin to yeah. keep an eye on him and just make sure so we invented this little miniature double act that runs through the film with Vasily and his minder so we do that as we're writing then nearer the time we get everyone in and we rehearse the script, which is a, a way of just working out really what other bits of comedy we can find or the dynamic in the room once mm -hmm. you have all these people in the room. But we're not really changing the story at that point. So when we are improvising, it's very much this has to happen in this scene, this has to happen in this scene, and this has to happen. Other than that, let's try some things out. Yeah. And I always shoot the script, and we, we put a lot of work into the script, so we always shoot it. But there's just a little bit of time at the end to play around as well. Was your composer, was, was Christopher involved that early on as well? Um, he was involved early on. I think he was involved early in just getting the seeing the script early. Mm. I can't remember if he, because he was based in L.A. He's British, but he's based in L.A. I can't remember if he came to a rehearsal at one point quite remember but again earlier than most people do I always feel sorry for the composers because they're the kind of all the work's gone in and the edit's been done and everything's done and then yeah. they just handed the film and told okay off you go and Chris was telling me about how you know early John Williams when it was pre-digital he had to go along to a screening of Star yeah. Wars and just note down the timings when things happen and then go away and try and come up with something <laughs> you know it's crazy yeah and then when they're recording it somehow get it exactly to mm. the shot so it's better than that but what we did was very early on in the edit he saw the overall film it was before it was all cut down just to yeah. sort of be to, just to get the atmosphere and we discussed kind of the sound of it and I started putting in bits of Shostakovich and bits of other Russian music just to have something to cut to but he would suggest some themes and, and whatever and then we were to and fro backwards and forwards the closer we got to the actual lock of the edit yeah
We mentioned Kubrick earlier as being, yeah. you know, with, with film score. Are there any other films that you really remember kind of connecting with, kind of growing connecting up? with the music, that, that's interesting. That I'm just trying to think. I like films where the music is not sculpted exactly yeah. to what's on screen. I find that slightly annoying in a way, you know, especially in comedies where you can, you hear the music trying to tell the joke. Yeah. It does a kind of... <laughs> you know, and you just think, well, what's the point? You yeah. know, that what's that adding? Other it's than, almost like old silent yeah, comedy films. It's a distraction of anything else. And I like it when directors just use music to give, just to add another voice yeah. to the piece. I forget his name. Director of Lobster and... Yanis... Um, uh, um, Killing of Sacred Deer. Yeah, Yorgos uh, Lanthimos. Very yeah. well done. <laughs> now, his use of music is really good. Yes. And it's from all sorts of different st sources, but they're kind of pre-existing sources, yeah. really. And the way that he works with that, but then yeah. also with his sound design, so that yes. almost natural sounds are weak. part of the music. so clever. And also choosing a piece of music in advance to shoot to is interesting. Yeah. You know, obviously Baby Driver is an interesting example there. I've done it a few times in my Channel 4 series, the Amanda Nucci shows. I, I kind of knew the piece of music that was going to go with the story. Yeah. And so I kind of shot... To the, music. to the music, you know, I storyboarded it to the music, knowing yeah. that it was going to hate that kind of build up and so on. And I've seen that in, in, a, in a few things. What was the other? I mean, I'm just going to mention. Gonna, I know, yeah. you, I know, you didn't direct it, but Cuddly Toy by in, a, in, in <laughs> Alpha Papa. Yeah. I mean, yeah. God bless for, for re resonating that song. Which... Glad we, in the end, we got the rights to that because otherwise. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I was yeah. like so embarrassing in the cinema yes. watching that singing. I knew yes. every word to it. And it's surprising that Alan has this ability. He, you know, his his image being one thing, and yet somehow to reclaim it in, in a way. You know, he's regarded as being naff, and yet somehow by reclaiming it, it becomes cool again. You know. <laughs> think uh, the success of uh, Mamma Mia is partly down to Alan's uh, appropriation of ABBA for his chat show. I'm not asking for a cut in the worldwide <laughs> revenue <laughs> generated by that project. Um, I'm just stating that it would be nice. Um, <laughs> what about, you mentioned you said that you hadn't, up until kind of Stalin, you hadn't really using music very minimally in yeah it, other than in really my channel 4 show yeah. which I enjoy doing see I enjoy playing with music yeah. I just see it as another another voice another actor you know yeah. another member of the cast really yeah and therefore it's good when music 
instead of telling you what to think, is trying to tell you something else. You know, and it's up to you whether you go with it or not. Sometimes yeah. it's in it's in contrast to what you're seeing. You know, if something's really horrible and there's some beautiful music playing. I mean, Kubrick in you know Clockwork Orange, there's a lot of that going on. Yeah, choreographing you know beatings to. Uh, was it um, Singing in the Rain and um, and um, uh, there's a Rossini overture to the Thieving Magpie and all that it's just time to the you know and that's that's making music just another it's like the, it's like part of the set I do see film as the only other thing I can compare it to, and I've heard Terry Gilliam, uh, who's also very good with his music, yeah. compare make this comparison, is opera. Film and opera are slightly similar in that opera is a combination of different art forms. You know, it's acting, it's music, it's orchestra, it's staging, it's directing, choreography, choreography mm -hmm. design. You know, a lot of it comes together. And, and you just need one aspect of that to be not right. And the whole thing falls apart. And it's the same with film. You know, it's acting, it's directing, it's the story, it's the dialogue, it's the, it's the costume, it's the design, it's the set, it's the look, it's the photography. You know, it, yeah. it, it, it's, 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 again, it's, and it's the editing, it's the pacing. So again, there's lots of different art forms coming together there. And again, one of which, if it went wrong, could completely change your impression of the film. What about theme tunes? How involved do you get in? Theme you know, when you think uh, about the different. Well, for TV Veep, shows. I remember we we went to Chris. We you know we did a little bit of an audition with various composers, and and we wanted the the music for Veep to feel not to feel comic, to feel serious, but slightly too much, too busy. And Chris came back with this theme for Veep, which is just has too many, slightly too many notes. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's like someone who's, as she then was at the start of season one, was in a secondary position, but is trying hard to kind of fill her day. <laughs> it reminds me of the steps in um, in the chat show, the TV Knowing Me Knowing You. The steps were designed to be slightly awkward to go down as a guest. Yeah. They're slightly too long. So you have to keep changing the leading leg for each step, <laughs> you know, and it just is slightly awkward. And it, it reminded me a bit of that. And, and so it wasn't a comic thing, it was just a stylistic thing mm -hmm. that was slightly inappropriate. Before we finish, if you were to start someone on a journey yeah. getting into the world of classical music, where would you point them to start? Oh, heavens. I'd, I know you're besotted uh, by Bach. Bach, yes, a bit of Bach <laughs> piano music, Glenn Gould. Glenn Gould was this <coughs> rather eccentric Canadian 
pianist who couldn't stop himself humming what he was playing. I mean, he was a brilliant pianist. And he committed himself to the recording studio. He stopped performing live, so he just would do recording. But he couldn't stop himself making noises, and he had to put all sorts of muffles and baffles all around him. But if you turn up the volume, you can still hear him going... I love that. But Glenn Gould is, is great. Actually, you know, it depends what you're into. Shostakovich, listen to Shostakovich's 10th symphony. It's yeah. really big and dramatic. I um, think the score for Del Stalin well, is a really Death of Stalin, which will then lead you on to Shostakovich, <laughs> you know. Listen to Carl Nielsen, who's um, is he Swedish? Swedish composer? He's Scandinavian. Apologies to anyone listening to this in in Scandinavia. That I've, oh, I think he's Danish. Danish, yes, he's Danish. His Fifth Symphony is amazing. Uh, it was written about 18, uh, 1930, maybe nineteen forty. No, nineteen thirty. Sounds really modern, really cinematic, really dramatic, really passionate and dramatic and blows apart this myth that classical music is slightly kind of prissy and yeah. delicate. Yeah. It's not that at all. Amazing. You, know, you, you can imagine any kind of great movie of the 20th century being scored to that music. 
I think a lot of you know our kind of modern composers for film yeah. are just creating some from Max Richter and Mac people yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's nice to kind of draw people's attention to it. If nothing yeah, else. absolutely. Amanda, yeah. thank you so much for Pleasure. your time. No, I enjoyed it. Nice that. to chat to you. Thanks. As recommended by Armando Iannucci, that's an extract from Carl Nielsen's Symphony No. 5, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with the polymath writer, director and classical music buff. My huge thanks to Armando for taking the time to talk to us. The Death of Stalin is on home entertainment release now and really is a brilliant piece of cinema with exceptional performances. There's a Spotify playlist for this show available via edithbowman.com, which is also the place to subscribe and catch up with all of our previous episodes. Please, if you aren't already, follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and do rate us on iTunes if you get a minute. Now, before we go, I wanted to let you know about Bumble Presents, the female film force. It's an initiative offering unique grants to aspiring female filmmakers across the UK and Ireland. So at this year's Oscars, only 15% of the winners were female and at the BAFTAs, it was only 20%. We need to see more stories by women, about women and told by women. I'm sure you'll agree, we do. And we're very much trying to get more women on the podcast. Bumble is the female first social network that shifted the old fashioned power dynamic by encouraging equality from the start. Now they're now given five women either writers, directors or producers, £20,000 each to make a short film. So if you've got an idea for a film, it's very easy to apply. If you swipe through on Bumble, Bumble Biz or BFF, an in-app card will pop up. Match with that and you'll receive an in-app message with a link to a simple online application form. I'm going to be chairing the panel alongside Kate Kinnamont, Chief Executive of Women in Film and TV, Ophelia Loverbond, Georgina Campbell and many more to select our final five formidable women to make short films that we hope will go some way to address this industry imbalance. So what are you waiting for? 
Next up on soundtracking, returning for his second sitting, the legendary Ron Howard, the man who took over the reins of Solo, a Star Wars story. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Thank you. 